Hey, hey, everyone. Um, today is a super amazing day, to say the least. I'm, mm, I can't even describe how honored I am to have the time of the guests that we have on today. But before we dive into that really insightful conversation, I have some really big news to share with you. So I haven't announced this yet. It's the first time I am coming out with this news, and I I don't know how I kept it a secret for so long, but it's going to be well worth the wait, because I am coming out and revealing the fact that I have um, published a book, and it's a great book. It's an awesome book, and I am so, so excited to share it with the world today. The book is called The Perfection Myth. How to Break Free from the Dogmatic Chains of Health and Dieting. And the book is based upon my foundation of perfectionless beliefs. The fact that I believe perfection isn't real. That I believe that perfection is something that really consumes us. The idea of having this body because we create an idea of the life that comes with a body. And so in this book I go over a lot about the actual fitness industry that I experienced. I go I go into great detail about my own story. I talk about perfection, obviously, but a lot of the tiny details that I don't have all the time to mention on my podcast. And I give you practical steps and guidelines for finding your own sense of unconditional body freedom and helping you to put away the food fears and conquer conquer that disordered eating you may or may not be going through, but also to cultivate a better body image. I go over so many different aspects of why we create negative body images in the first place, why we have such a desire to create this sense of perfection or at least appear perfect to other people and how we develop this in the first place, what it is, what's going on that the media is putting into our heads time and time again. So this book right now is on Amazon. Just It was just released. Um, it's been on pre-order for a little bit, but today's the first day you can actually have instant access to it. So if you want to get this book, which I really hope you guys do, and it would just mean so much to me if you checked it out, it's actually a very short read. Um, it's like 60 pages. So go head on over to the show notes for this and check out, um, the, uh, there's a link to the book in there. It's called The Perfection Myth. So if you go to maddiemoon.com slash mbm38, you'll see the link to The Perfection Myth on my website. I am so thrilled to have it and I cannot wait to hear your feedback and your instant response. And I hope that this book is more than just something you read. I hope it's a guide. I hope that it's going to set you up for a new mindset. I hope it's going to set you up for cultivating body freedom. I want to be your own little coach right there in your the palm of your hands. As you read this book, just imagine that I'm talking directly to you because I am. So you guys, head on over there and click on the link to read about this book. Download it, the Kindle um, version. You don't have to have a Kindle to get the 99 cents Kindle version. It is... Um, you could read it on your computer. How cool is that? You can read it on your computer. I swear you'll be done in just a couple hours because it's a quick read, but it's powerful. So thank you so much for your support. If you like the book, the next thing I'll ask is to leave a review and just let me know. Um, you guys rock. Let's go head on over to the show. Welcome to the Mind Body Musings podcast. The show for everyone and anyone that is ready to break free from the dogmatic chains of the health and fitness industry and create their own life free from restrictions. Now, introducing your host, Madeline Moon, a former fitness model gone sane and the author of the popular self-love book, The Perfection Myth. If you dig the show and you're looking for more body love insight, check out her website, maddiemoon.com, and grab your free guide, how to love your body again. 10 easy steps to stop sacrificing and start living. If you're ready to end dieting once and for all, it's time you learn how to pursue real health instead. Enjoy the show. 
Hey, and welcome back to the podcast, ladies and gents. Today is a good day indeed because I'm going to be interviewing one of the best thought leaders of our country's time. Dr. Linda Bacon is the creator of the movement Health at Every Size, also known as HAES. This movement has revolutionized what it means to be healthy and is stripping away our culture's longtime belief that overweight means unhealthy and that one's health can only be determined by one's size. Dr. Linda Bacon is changing the way we view our own bodies as well as the bodies of others and has made a huge impact already with her two books, Health at Every Size and Body Respect. Bacon's academic training includes two master degrees, one in psychotherapy specializing in eating disorders and body image, and the other in exercise science specializing in metabolism. She also earned a PhD in physiology with a nutrition emphasis from the University of California. Relying on her unusual blend of academic, therapeutic, and clinical expertise, Bacon is adept in at translating scientific research into practical application. Her personal difficulties with weight regulation and her experience in overcoming them provide important perspective and inspiration for her work. Bacon is currently a health professor at City College of San Francisco and an associate nutritionist at the University of California, Davis. Today, we're going to learn not only the scientific aspects of health, but also the social aspects that are contorting its true definition. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the show, Dr. Linda Bacon. Thanks, Madeline. It's good to be here. Yeah, this is like, man, this is a step up for my podcasting game because we talk about this movement often on my show, but to actually be able to hear about the movement and about the science and just like how we can change collectively our mindsets towards what it means to be healthy directly from you is like just really awesome. That's awfully sweet. Thank you. <laughs> so tell us about how you got involved with all of this in the first place. What what like sparked that passion and interest? Oh, basically it was just to save myself. I struggled so much with um, bad body image, um, lots of dieting and always trying to change my weight. Um, and really, I was looking for a way to save myself. It was just so painful to be in that place of self-hatred and feeling like the only way I would be able to get respect and appreciation and love in the world was to lose weight and then to be always trying to do this and never having it work in the long run and feeling it just made me feel even worse about myself. And I suppose when things got really bad, I just had to find a way out. And for me, academics and thinking tends to be, um, you know, the avenue. And so I just got determined to try to understand this as best I could from an academic perspective. And along the way, I learned so much about myself um, and it became much more than academic. And, you know, I think the end of that journey is to say that um, I really love and appreciate my body now, and I can love and appreciate food again. And I know that the usual messages that we get out there are just so painful and damaging for so many people. And being able to share with people the science that we don't have to go through dieting and self-hatred to um, come out whole, and in fact that they're part of the problem, not the solution. And to be able to help to support the research base that shows that there's so much more of a promising and compassionate way that we can look at people and find our power in the world. Um, you know, it's amazing to now be able to share that with other people. And um, so, I, and I so appreciate what you do, Madeline, in trying to help get the word out and support everybody on this whole ch challenging path of self-acceptance and love. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely my pleasure to back up this movement it's it's made a big difference in like more lives and I mean even I'm sure you you think you know like everyone just is dying to hear this message and everyone wants to believe it but we can never like rely on the media and other people to tell us that we're enough because the messages constantly say we're not enough we need to change our bodies and yada 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 but um so I'm curious to know did the science kind of heal you like your process of diving into the science, did it change your own mindset towards your body? Well, it was part of the process. And, 
one thing that I've learned as um, someone who's been teaching for a long time is that we all have um, a different frame for what's going to have an impact on us. And some people have to do it through, like, the cognitive realm can be very transformative for them um, and then open them up to other realms. But I also know that there are a lot of people that don't learn that way, that, um, you know, knowing that diets don't work intellectually isn't going to change their behavior in any way. And that we're all on individual journeys about what it is that really has an impact on us. And I love the challenge of just trying to um, help people to see that body love is um, something that's accessible to everybody and we all are going to have different routes to get there. But, you know, before we go further, there's one thing that I want to just bring out here that I think is just so important as a starting point. And that's just the recognition that, um, that in our culture, it's hard to love our bodies because we're given such strong messages of what we're supposed to look like. And, you know, it, it's going to be tougher for people in heavier bodies, for example. It's going to be tougher for people with darker skin, given issues related to weightism and to racism, etc. It's not a fair world. And it's understandable that so many people have such a an uncomfortable relationship with our bodies because we get certain, we get a lot of cultural privilege and, you know, ability to do things in the world based on what it is we look like. So it's not just a journey of individual change, but this is really very much a social movement. We've got to make this a place where it's safer for us to just respect people's bodies in all different kinds of forms. And that's got to go alongside with the individual journey to um, body respect. Oh, man, I completely agree. And I think that one of the biggest things for this movement as a society is our language and just the way we respond to topics about weight and to topics about health and to stop. I'm, I'm really curious what you think about this, because I don't know if you know too much about my story, but I used to be a fitness competitor and a fitness model. And I was always, you know, glamorizing my body and putting it out there on social media and kind of just saying like, oh, I'm healthy, I'm fit, because I have a six pack. And that is how all of this started for me, because I was trying to put on a front and I was trying to say, you know, listen to me and my advice because I'm fit and uh, I don't have cravings and I'm, I, I'm better than everyone else because I, I can have this fit body. And you know, just as well as I know that I was not necessarily fit and actually I was very sick and mentally and physically I had a lot of things going on in my head as well as my body. So when it comes to language and to to changing the society's idea of what it means to be healthy, what are some of the things that we should be watching out for when we're talking about these kind of subjects? Mm. Well, Language, probably the first thing that comes to mind is I would love for us to throw out terms like overweight and obesity. Um, and here's why. Um, when you think of the term overweight, if you just break down the words, it implies that someone's over a weight that's healthy and right for them. And there are plenty of people that are in the overweight category that um, will live long, disease-free lives and don't have problems. And that's the weight that's appropriate and right for them. And you know what? There's also people in bodies that size that put them in the overweight category that aren't making great health choices, but they still deserve to be treated with respect instead of labeled as if there's something that's wrong with them. Hmm. So I'd love for us to throw out the term overweight. And the same thing if we break down the etymology of the word obesity, it refers to people who are eating too much. And again, First off, why define someone based on, you know, like immediately just because somebody might eat a lot of food to label that as bad and wrong? And also what we know from the research is we don't know that, that fatter people don't tend to eat any more or less than thinner people based on the research. So, you know, for many reasons, that term is just unnecessarily damaging and stigmatizing. 
And it totally offends me that the American Medical Association has been using these terms and have defined obesity as a disease. Um, when all obesity is, is just the relationship between someone's height and weight that puts them in this particular body mass index category, but it says nothing about their health. Um, and for them to conflate weight and health um, without any kind of scientific basis behind that, I mean, there's plenty of people in the obese category that will live long, healthy, disease-free lives. It's not a disease having being heavy. For some people, it might be reflective of disease processes, but by in and of itself, it's not a disease. So this, I think those categories end up being really unnecessarily stigmatizing, and I would love to throw them out and come up with a more respectful term to deal with people. And I'd like to suggest a substitute, which I know is going to be also something that's quite controversial. And that substitute that I'd like to suggest is the is um, that we need to reclaim the word fat. Fat doesn't have to be a negative judgment. It can just be a description that some people are living in fatter bodies and there doesn't have to be anything wrong or negative about it. We can strip it of all pejorative connotations and just make it another way of someone expressing their unique identity. And um, my hope is that if we can all just reclaim this word, it can become more just, it can, we can reclaim it so that it's not a source of negativity anymore. It's just a sign of who's, what somebody looks like without anything bad attached to it. And I think that when people are uncomfortable using the fat, the word fat, a lot of times that's because it brings up their idea that there's something negative about it, which is a great thing for us to challenge. If we can just use that word and reclaim it, just like the the queer rights movement has reclaimed the word queer. Basically, people standing up and saying, um, I am um, queer, different, right? But there's nothing wrong with that. I own the identity, and I'm not going to allow it to be used as a way to disempower me. Well, I, there's, a huge, there's a fat acceptance movement that's happening right now where people are, again, just trying to reclaim that stigmatized identity as just an aspect of who they are without negatives. So I would love to just support the fat acceptance movement and um, reclaiming the word. So this is making me think. Um, so if we're reclaiming the word fat, which I love, by the way, I love that. Um, when we're using, so say we're like, obviously our world is, is we're trying to get it up to speed with this new movement, but for the people who aren't, and when you, when you say someone is fat or when you call yourself fat, um, is the other side of the equation, how you respond? Like when people say, you know, she's fat, our normal response would be, oh no, she's not. She's not like we immediately like react as if it's a bad thing. And I'm assuming that's something that needs to change as well, how we react when we hear this right. word. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, I have a great story to tell about this. When my son was um, in second grade in school, the teachers used to always ask um, value questions at the end of every test just to get the kids thinking a little bit about their values and how to express themselves. And one time at the end of his math test, the teacher asked the question, what would you say to someone if they said, your mother is fat? Now, this was a fairly progressive school, and most of the kids defended their mothers by saying she is not. And um, I was really proud to um, see my son's response, which was, so what? <laughs> and, you know, and I thought about, and first off, I'm, I'm not fat, which is interesting. I'm glad that he... Um, he's able to get all of these social justice arguments um, despite the fact that he's grown up in a family where he's um, people have what I call thin privilege, but that that's another topic getting us off topic a little. Let me just stay with uh, uh, the main point there is that it disarms the bully by, you know, their power was they were trying to insult um, him and he wasn't allowing them to do that. 
you know, and it was making the bully seem as if they're the ones with the problem. Um, and, and I think that that recontextualizing is really important that, um, that, you know, instead of, um, if we say she's not, then that's like saying she's not bad. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, um, and we can just acknowledge, oh, she is fat, but there's nothing wrong with that. And, I, you know, I just, I was so proud of my son for just being able to do that. And, you know, he's much older now and it's wonderful to see him become such a strong advocate for just not allowing bullying to take place, to just kind of honoring diversity. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that is so, that's so adorable. And that's really sweet. And that's really awesome that that was his response. Um, so I'm not really one for labeling people like when I see them, you know, describing someone, if I'm pointing someone out, or if I'm talking about someone, and you know, usually people expect a, a description. So say like, oh, you know, she's tall, blonde, skinny, you know, oh, she's uh, tall, fat, blonde, whatever however you describe them and say you are describing the appearance of someone to somebody um, and, and they don't understand that fat is a word we're re reclaiming and they respond with she's fat like that's rude. How mm -hmm. do you then respond to that and then make it clear that you're not being rude. You're, you're um, describing someone's appearance. What do you recommend? Okay. Well, first off, I, I should say that um, while I do use the word um, frequently, um, I think it is important to pay attention to context and to figure out what's really going to be effective. And it may not always be effective to use that word mm -hmm. um, because it, as you're saying, it can be fairly triggering for people. And so I think that it's a word that we want to use respectfully if, and we have to consider, you know, whether there's an opportunity to use it um, to be able to educate people or whether that, um, it using the word is not that it's just going to be too triggering without the opportunity to help people to understand how you mean it. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there needs to be some sensitivity in how we want to use our language, but nonetheless, it can be, um, a wonderful, um, time to just say, Oh, I didn't mean it as an insult. I thought it was just descriptive. Um, you know, and to point out to that person, um, apparently, you know, you might, exp apparently for you, there's a lot of negative stuff that's associated with being fat, right? And then that gives you great opportunity to have an educational conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, spot but, on. Because then you get to situate that the problem is in them, not mm -hmm. in the word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the psychology side of things, I, I, I love talking about this as well as like not just for, you know, fat, but also for people who are coming out of eating disorders and disordered eating and they're getting to a, a good weight for themselves, like their natural weight that their body wants to be at. So I have a lot of clients that come to me who are starting to put on weight again after having disordered eating or or some kind of um, over-exercise addiction, and people start to comment saying, you look healthier, like you look better, or you look really good. Um, and then in their minds, they're so fearful of being seen as fat now that they're healthy. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because it's such a sensitive, sensitive topic and subject. And um, how do you work with your own clients when they're starting to put back on weight and change that shift for them? Because... For a lot of those people, they, they can't even dream of reclaiming the word fat because they can't even, like, a lot of them can't even accept the fact of just being at a, a normal weight for themselves. They're so underweight. Mm -hmm. Well, first off, I no longer work individually with people anymore, so I don't have clients. Um, but um, I more write and do research and teach on these issues at this point. Um, but... What I'm going to suggest is that, um, you know, we, on, we need to honor how challenging this is because it's real that we get judged in the world a lot based on our weight and that 
being at a certain weight gives us more currency in the world. You know, thinner people get more social attention. They have better access to making money in the world. Fat discrimination is real. And um, so I understand why um, people like would want to be in a category that's considered more where you get more of those social rewards. It makes sense. Um, but just because that's true doesn't mean that that's a healthier way to be. Um, you know, like if a black person um, had lighter skin, life would be easier in many aspects. But when someone experiences racism, we don't tell them to bleach their skin as an alternative. You know, instead we can show compassion for their experience and recognize that the problem is in a culture and to help them to develop the skills to be able to better manage how challenging it is to live in a racist world. And so I think that with people who are changing weight, that again, we have to just help them to understand the meaning of weight in the world and that, um, you know, how important it is for us to um, let go of feeling like fitting in is what's going to make us happier in the world um, and instead come to that place of more just what makes us happiest in the world is when we can get seen and loved and accepted for who we are. And that doesn't, that, you know, what we look like is only one small part of that whole big picture. And we have to keep in perspective that what's going to make us happy is being seen. You know, there's just way too many stories of people that do get to thin weights and they're still miserable. Um, that, you know, the recognition that thin, thinness isn't enough to really make you happy. Yes, maybe you're getting a little bit more of the social attention you wanted, but in the big picture of things, it's not enough. Yeah. And, you know, so the better, the, the place that people always feel better about themselves is when they are fully expressing themselves, which means that, you know, they are who they are in whatever body they are. And just helping people to just embrace themselves as they are instead of as they could be or as they were when and if they or as they will be when and if they lose the weight. That we always have to move more towards self-acceptance in how we are in the moment. And then that allows us to take better care of ourselves and our bodies. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much truth in that. So much truth. In my experience, it's like the more you're obsessing over your weight and the more you're hiding behind this perfect weight, like your life is waiting. It's like on hold because you're so focused on keeping this perfect weight and you end up sacrificing true health and happiness. I mean, as cliche as it kind of sounds, it's very true. Like you're so fearful of the unknown and the future and, and what's going to happen when I lose that perfect body. But then you take a step back and you realize, yeah, maybe you are, you know, keeping this quote perfect body, which we all know there's no such thing as a perfect body, but in your eyes, you have this body that gets all this recognition, but what do you have outside of that recognition? Like what kind of, how are your relationships? You know, how is your spirituality? How are your emotions? How's your mental health? Because normally if you're maintaining a weight that, you have to kill yourself to have and you're obsessing over it and you're, you're frustrated and you're tired all the time, then most likely all the other important aspects of life are suffering. And it's a scary, scary thought to give up that, that weight that your body doesn't really want to be at in order to start thriving in all those other areas of life. Right. So, okay. So some of the, I'm sure you get a lot of questions like, Immediately when this idea health at every size is introduced to um, people who are very skeptical, what are some of the immediate responses you get 
like, that's not true because of blah, blah, blah. Right. I know. Everybody wants the whole rat wants to um, rationalize the drive for weight loss as a health issue, right? As opposed to a cosmetic issue. And which is understandable given how health has always been presented to us. But what we're recognizing as we look at the scientific literature is those connections between health and weight aren't as they seem. That um, this connection to that health is um, like, for example, issues of social justice seem to be much stronger in who lives the longest and who gets chronic diseases than um, weight is. And when you start to parse out all the literature, you can see that there, there are much stronger connections there and that we've got this misplaced focus on weight and we blow it out of proportion. But what we find is that there's a much stronger connection, number one, between social justice and health, number two, between health behaviors and health, than there is between weight and health. And what we can also see is that a focus on weight and trying to control one's weight doesn't help people manage their weight any better. That instead, it just makes a lot of people feel bad about themselves and adopt behaviors that aren't health-promoting. And it's only when we let up on the focus on weight and just go directly to looking at the health concerns and how we can address them without trying to pretend that weight's going to mediate that relationship, then we can actually make the changes that we want to make. So again, um, you know, this whole idea that diabetes is all about being fat or that cardiovascular disease is all about being fat, it's just not supported by the evidence. And nor is there support for the fact that when people try to lose weight, it improves their diabetes or their heart disease. And when we disentangle all of this, we know that we've, that thinner people get diabetes and heart disease, um, and it's not helping them if the message is all about weight. And we can see that the lose weight messages haven't been beneficial for heavier people either. So it becomes really easy when we start to look at the science to recognize how we really need a paradigm shift, that we have access to making this so much better of a world if we drop fighting weight out of the equation and instead address the real concerns that we need to have around health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I was having a conversation with someone yesterday, a family member, and um, they know that I'm very um, pro, you know, everybody and, and pro like the true definition of health. And it, it's kind of not, it doesn't register with them. And so immediately I forgot exactly what they said, but it was a moment where I was like, man, if only I'd already talked to, to Linda so that I could see what she would have <laughs> said. But he, he said something like, um, yeah, like uh, um, overweight people are lazy and gluttonous. And I immediately got super red in the face. <laughs> I was like, you're talking to me about this? Like, I don't even, I, who are you? Like, I don't understand why in the world. And like, you'd say that to me and, and then they were, and then, you know, the, the conversation quickly transferred over to, okay, well maybe they're not lazy, but I am saying that they have, um, diabetes and I'm like, okay, still like, I don't, I don't understand how you can make that connection immediately, like back it up with something. So in that instance, and I'm not very science, um, savvy, like I don't know that many, um, scientific, scientific things. So in that kind of conversation, yeah, you know, I, think that, I mean, I think this is quite challenging, Madeline, and you know, and I feel for you in that situation. As a scientist, I have easy access to that. I've been studying it for a long time, and I can back up my stuff. But I, um, you know, like for example, I can point to the research studies that show that fatter people aren't eating any more than thinner people, or that um, while it is true that on average, um, people who are heavier tend to be a little less active than others. Um, 
that really only counts for maybe five pounds or so. Um, so I can look at all of these evi this evidence, but you know what I found is that in the end, um, scientific studies aren't what fights prejudice. That mm -hmm. there's got to be there's something that is much bigger than that, and all the data in the world is not going to transform somebody's mind, even a scientist, in my experience, that what seems to be much more effective is helping people to just kind of connect with emotionally what their words mean. That, um, you know, can let's say they have this belief system that fat is bad. Um, can they imagine what it's like for someone who's in a heavier body to feel that way about themselves? Right? So even if they believe that to be true, do they think that it's a good public health message to get it out there? And I think that when you frame it that way, people can have some compassion and recognize that um, a public health stance based on, on hatred and wrongness isn't going to you know, be helpful or valid. And so telling people there's something wrong with them, you know, it's just not good strategy. Um, and then also to help people to recognize that, you know, all of us could benefit from probably improving our health habits. And we all know thinner people that have, um, um, that don't exercise regularly and, that, you know, eat junk food. But we don't have the same kind of judgment about them as a heavier person that's got the exact same behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so maybe, you know, there's no value in the judgment. It's more just about recognizing humanity, you know, that we all have opportunities to make better choices and what are the ways that we can support people in doing it? And I think a message that's really helpful is that if you can help people to just appreciate their bodies, well, then they're going to take better care of them. So regardless of whatever bias somebody might have about what kind of behavior someone has, what their health is, et cetera, um, we can all recognize that supporting someone in self-love is going to be a good thing. And maybe it'll even have the results that we're looking for, where they can then make better choices. Um, and as I say that, I also just want to keep in mind the fact that I also don't want to reduce our health outcomes to thinking that our health choices are the only part of it. Um, there's a lot that goes into diabetes that has nothing to do with whether or not somebody eats sugar or gets exercise. Um, you know, like living in a body where you experience a lot of discrimination results in heightened cortisol levels, which increase inflammation in the blood and increase your likelihood of having diabetes or worsening your diabetes. So on a, on a you know, we can also just, instead of always re, um, bringing this down to an individual behavior change level, we can also just think about what are all the things we can be doing to make this a world where um, people can feel better about themselves and where they can have access to being able to make better choices. Yeah, yeah. Totally. totally. And so um, one of my questions, <clears throat> I guess, would be like, so for instance, me, whenever I was going through my fitness model training and I was working out intensely every single day, eating very few calories, which is the story for a lot of people listening to this show. Because a lot of people are searching for answers. And this kind of, the, 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 the reasons you just stated for getting diabetes, not, of course, for everyone. But, for instance, this is possible. You can be in a smaller body, like a fitness model type body with abs, and, and get diabetes from, from cortisol level spiking over and over again. Is that a possibility? Um, well, that's one of the contributors. There's lots of reasons why people get diabetes and why some people are protected and don't get diabetes. Um, and, um, but I would say that overall, I think that, that 
oppression is probably one of the biggest issues that plays a role in metabolic disorders. Um, yes. Um, and um, which is not to deny the role of health behaviors as well. But if we can address it on all of these levels, instead of just always making it just about um, personal control, uh, we're going to be much more effective in, in addressing it and in supporting people and taking the blame out of it all as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Linda, I'm curious, what are some of the biggest like biomarkers for health that you use today when really analyzing someone's health? What are the main factors you look at? Um, well, um, again, I'm not a healthcare provider, so I, I don't have to make all of those assessments. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's interesting because your question was about biomarkers and I mean, there are obvious biomarkers out there, things like blood pressure levels and LDL levels um, and issues like that. Um, but honestly, I think that if our folk, that a focus on biomarkers is misplaced and that if we want to do better assessment of who gets sick and why, that it's, we have to take into consideration people's lived experiences to a much greater degree rather than just the biomarkers. Um, so, you know, people that have, um, that live really challenged lives are more likely to get all of those diseases that we tend to blame on obesity. Um, and um, we need to look at that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you said, you said lived markers, like things from their, like the conditions of people's lives, mm -hmm. you know, like, um, are, uh, you know, if there's a lot of mold in your house, for example, um, which, um, tends to be when you get into more impoverished neighborhoods and the houses are, are less well kept up and there's more, and there's more pollution in neighborhoods, et cetera. Um, those kinds of things have huge impacts on our health. And, you know, when we think about like things like exercise, I mean, it, it's easy to just tell people go out and go for a run. But if your neighborhood's not a safe place, that's not going to be a very attractive option. And we can start to explore some of the reasons why people don't have good health behaviors. And that, you know, maybe we're um, struggling to um, both go to school and work full time. And it makes sense that we don't have the time to go do exercise as something that's separate and apart from our lives. Um, and if we address the, the fact that there are real reasons why people don't adopt behaviors and try to support them in Figuring out, you know, given that the conditions of our lives are so challenging, how can we still make the best of our world? So, for example, telling everybody to join the gym is not going to be a good response when, A, you don't have the money to go to the gym, or B, you don't have any time left because, you know, you've always got kids to consider and when you're done with your working time. Um, and so... There are other strategies to help people be more active or to also recognize that maybe activity is not the most important thing that you want to be paying attention to in supporting people in getting healthier. But maybe there are other issues that are much more important rather than always falling back on things like exercise and activity. So yeah. we have to really look at in for the individual, you know, why are they making the choices that they are? What are the conditions of their lives that set them up for this disease and make them more prone to it? You know, and what are those, what conditions can we change? And in terms of the conditions that we can't change, you know, we might not be able to change the fact that um, money is hard for us, you know, and that we're working really, really hard in order and really busy in order to just survive. Um, you know, and, and, 
acknowledge that and then stop getting down on ourselves because we can't afford to buy the fresh produce or the uh, cook or take the time to cook it, you know, and instead just acknowledge this is a really challenging for me. So what are the ways that, you know, given this, instead of just coming down on myself, I can just take the fact that those things are going to be hard seriously and, and figure out are there, you know, what kinds of strategies can I adopt that I have, you know, what power do I have to make change? You know, and so for some people, instead of helping them to figure out how to buy fresh veggies, it might just be about, you know, helping them to connect more with friends so that they can develop cooking clubs. And um, when they cook, they can cook twice the amount and share the, 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 share it with their friend and their friend can do the same for them and it cuts down on their cooking and shopping time because you know so for them that becomes a very different way to help them honor the fact that they've got a lot of stress and you know time considerations and you know so just telling them to eat better is not going to be helpful but to help them to problem solve within the context of their lives, what can we do? And also to help them to understand that, you know, there's real social reasons why people end up in the positions that they, they end up in and have these challenges. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So much truth. Um, yeah. It, it seems like our world is just based off of this one size fits all plan when it comes to health. Like everyone is, looking for a way to make more profit and make more money. And so people will start to create these programs, these like health and fitness programs, they'll call it. And it'll be a program with a certain amount of calories and a certain diet plan and a cer certain exercise routine. And then like, you know, Sally Joe will buy it, who lives with, um, you know, 10 other people in the middle of, a crowded city and not in a day, not in a safe neighborhood and all these factors come in just like you were saying and like everything on that plan she was given is going against what like her environments are giving her back like she doesn't she can't be doing all these things that this plan has but yet it's it's glamorized and it's um glorified and like this program has all these testimonies and you know if, if everyone else can do it i have to do it and if i can't do it perfectly then i'm a failure and then that's when that guilt starts to kick in and then that's when the relationship with your body just gets out of whack and everyone just assumes that you know if this person can have this lifestyle and adopt these habits then i can too and if i can't then i'm a loser and i can't like i'll never be fit because they've created this idea and this idea of a life in their heads of what happens when they actually achieve fitness and forget that all these other factors come into play and forget to give themselves permission to create a new definition of health for themselves like everyone's definition is different you can't buy your own definition online for $24.99. You have to create it. And that does happen through trial and error. And it's great to experiment things. But like that message you just said, like that is going to hit home for so many people because people need that, that permission to let go of what they're told to do over and over again through mainstream dogmatic um, health information and start to find their own path and find what really works for their unique lifestyle and their body. Sure. And uh, um, my co-author and good friend, Dr. Lucy Affermore, has a phrase that has been really powerful that we've been using in our trainings for people. Very simple. And it's just, your story matters. You know, and to help people to recognize that, you know, their experiences have in the world has kind of played a role in why they make the choices that they make. And it circumscribes the, what choices they actually can make. And the more they just take all of that stuff seriously and forget about what the experts are telling them they're supposed to do or what people are telling them they're supposed to look like and drop all those outside rules and just take their own situation seriously and recognize that, you know, just 
the power that they have in their own lived experience um, that, you know, we all want better lives for ourselves. And even when we're making bad choices, you know, like if we're abusing alcohol, we don't do it because we're bad people. We do it because for some people we're trying to find a way out of our pain, you know, and in some ways that's like an act of self love. Like nobody wants to be in pain. It would make sense that you would try to take care of yourself and get yourself out of pain. Right. But then after a while you start to recognize that it's not effective in the long run. Um, and then it brings a lot of other pain with it. But to recognize that we all have that drive to love ourselves. And the more that we can just recognize that even when we, we don't make the choices we'd like to make, that oftentimes it comes from a place of just really caring, right? And we just have to learn how to take our stories a little bit more seriously and, you know, recognize that, um, that, you know, we do what we do because we've been set up for it. <laughs> and it circums the outside world circumscribes our choices. And, you know, it's a wonderful thing where we can recognize that we don't have to blame ourselves. There's, there's so, so many reasons why we came to this place. Um, and, you know, part of moving more on this whole journey of self-love is to take those stories seriously and to try to figure out, given all the stuff going on in my life, what's the best that I can do that's going to help me to manage this situation? And, um, you know, there's a lot of trial and error that's involved in getting to know ourselves. And um, so, yeah, so just kind of supporting people in that whole journey of taking themselves seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just actually got your book, Body Respect, and I started reading it um, a couple of days ago. And first of all, I'm in love with it, and I'm in love with the title. One thing that I've, I started saying a while ago is unconditional body respect. And so seeing that book, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can't wait to read this. Um, but for, for real quickly, I just want you to give our listeners three things, like without having read the book yet, which I'm going to encourage every single person listening to go get body respect because it's amazing. But um, what are some, what are three things that people can start doing now to start cultivating unconditional body respect with their own bodies? Um, wow, this is putting me on the spot and I'm just not sure I can deliver. Um, top three messages without having been, without being thoughtful about this. But um, the first thing that, that comes to mind all the time is, um, you know, your question is what can an individual do for themselves with their body? And I always want to try to take the focus off of feeling like um, the individual has like, this is all just about personal behaviors and, you know, our own lifestyle choices and to help to, un to understand that there are always social cultural reasons why we feel about ourselves the way we do. You know, it's not just self-imposed that, um, Many people feel like they're too fat and there's something wrong with them. It's a culture that sets us up for this. And, you know, to recognize the role that the external world plays in how we end up feeling about ourselves. And um, to recognize that this isn't a, a just world. And particularly around body image issues. There's such strong ideas about what we're supposed to look like and what we're not supposed to look like. And our power as individuals is learning to just love and accept who we are in this particular moment and not measure ourselves up against that outside world which is very challenging because as I've been mentioning, the outside world does have power to make our lives um, harder 
if we don't fit in to those standards that it sets up. But somehow we just have to keep coming back to the idea that who we are matters and um, that we have that um, while, you know, I don't think self-love is something that we come to easily, but I think that self-acceptance um, is a, is almost a, it's like a more important step. And all that means is you don't necessarily have to um, like the body that you're living in, right? That might be down the line, you know, a place that you can work towards. But what you can do is you can always start from a place of just owning it and accepting it and acknowledging this is the body I have and let me figure out how to enjoy it to the fullest and make the best of it and live the best life I can within this body that I have. And that might result in you doing different things. Like it might help you to change your exercise habits or your eating habits or something else. But starting from that place of just acceptance um, and not resisting it um, allows you then to take better care of it. You know, so you don't have to wait till you get thinner to buy new jeans. Instead, you can, you know, look for clothes that are going to help you to feel good in the and express yourself in the body that you have right now. And when you start from this place of self-acceptance, it's a lot easier for self-love to follow because you're not denying what is and, you know, living in the body that you don't have or that you intend to have later on. You get to live your life right now. And I think, you know, that's part of the, the big, one of the reasons we chose the term body respect. We would love to live in a culture where we can, regardless of whether someone's heavier than they, than is healthy for them or not, if we just start from that basic place of respecting all bodies, um, then we can move more towards a place of, um, of improved health and better health habits and all kinds of things. Yeah, that's so beautifully said. Thank you. And I think that is powerful enough to be three things all in one. Like that, that's the Thank key. You. Yeah, no, seriously, that is, that's a huge thing. And I know that's something that a lot of people need to, to really focus on and meditate on and to start to develop that acceptance of their body and everyone else's body. And I just, I love the way you put that. Just be intimate with this moment right now in their body that you're blessed to have, you're blessed to live inside of, and just be able to own it. Like really recognize that your uniqueness is beautiful and there's only one like you in your genes, your traits, your personality, that combination is never going to be repeated in history ever again. And that's an extremely powerful thought. So thank you for sharing that. And we are coming up on the hour here. And I just want, first of all, I just want to thank you so much. And then second of all, can you just let all of my listeners know where they can uh, find you and connect with you? Sure, Madeline. And that was a really beautiful conclusion. So thank you for that. Um, well, so my name is Dr. Linda Bacon, and I've got a website called lindabacon.org, and that's a great starting point, and you can find lots of um, resources there if um, they're for people struggling with their own weight concerns, for medical practitioners, for school administrators, fitness trainers, etc. You'll find, if you go to my resources page, I've got breakdowns for all, all kinds of people to explore these issues in more depth. And um, I'm getting them down in books. You've already mentioned my book, Health at Every Size, and um, my co-authored book, Body Respect, co-authored with Dr. Lucy Aframore. And if you get to my website, you'll be able to find links to those books' websites. And you can also find them in all the usual places. And um, I'm sure that, again, if you just start from lindabacon.org, you can find your way to... Um, attaching to me on social media like Twitter and Facebook and my mailing list, etc. Um, but so thanks for all the attention to these ideas, Madeline. It's just so important that more of us are talking about them. And I so appreciate what you're doing. 
Absolutely. Thank you again, Linda. And thanks everyone for listening. If you want to check out Body Respect, head on over to the show notes. You can find the show notes to this um, episode at mattymoon.com slash mbm38. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for my free ebook, How to Love Your Body Again, and I'll give you 10 super simple, easy steps to stop sacrificing and start living. Thanks guys so much. We'll catch you later.